people. We, we just love the fact that the Y opens up this room for us, Lord, and, and they uh, are still all about Christian principles and about you, God. We praise you that we can worship you in public, that we can call your name, and that uh, you are here, that you run to us, that uh, we are forgiven, that we walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, we praise you for fellowship. We love that you made us for relation, first of all, with you vertically and then horizontally with each other. And so, Lord, as we draw closer to you, we get to draw closer to one another. And so, Jesus, I ask this year, as we go through uh, on Wednesdays, Lord, and different fellowship times, Lord, that we would absolutely make it a commitment that we would want to be here and hear from you and then disciple one another. And and through that, Lord, our, our relationships go so deep. They go so deep. And Lord, as women, as you created us, you need us. Uh, you, I should say, God, you want us to have those type of relationships that draw us closer, that draw us in, that draw us nearer to you, and then you draw nearer to us, Lord. And that intimacy is an amazing joy. It's joy in the journey, no matter what our circumstances are. I praise you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you are... Um, just alive and well and kicking and that the word is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that we'll be always studying your word, that the scripture interprets scripture, that we'll be hearing from you, Lord. And it's not my words, it's not anyone else's words that, that speak, Lord. It's totally the Holy Spirit who speaks. And so we give him full sway, God, to change our lives because that's why we're here. We don't want to become smarter sinners. We want to respond to you. We want to respond to you. And so I thank you for these precious ladies. The ones that are new, Lord, lift them up. Let them know how loved they are by you and by us. I thank you for Kristen. I thank you for Lynette. I thank you that we are here because because you have absolutely given us the breath, given us the ability to get here. You have ordained it, Lord, before every any day has begun. It's We are such dependent creatures on you, Lord. May we live with such a grateful heart, such a grateful heart for how you have made us in your image, and then share the good news with all those around us. And so, Lord, we praise you. Don't leave us where we are today. Grow us up. Grow us up, and may we look back even just four weeks from now, Lord, and see how changed we are. And so, Continue to uh, work in us, Lord. Those who you know, have not uh, made the decision at all about retreat, Lord, I ask that you work in them. If they're able to come, they would know that there, is, there are scholarships or partial scholarships or, Lord, that, it, that you have a special, special treat for them, Lord, that they will go home uh, just changed because of being there. And so, Jesus, we're excited about um, the retreat this year as we learn to become an overcomer because you have already overcome the world. So we are thankful that we can take heart because you've overcome the world. (coughs) And so, Jesus, just calm our spirits. Take away the distractions. Thanks so much for fellowship uh, and how you you make us... um, relational creatures, Lord, with each other. And may we, may we desperately want to hear from you uh, in the time that we have. And may we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because you are worthy to be praised. And everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. All right. You gotta, at least you got to outdo the people over here, right? <laughs> Amen. All right. For those of you who don't know, I'm Margot Fiesler, and my summer word is bittersweet because... You know, it's one of those where you're walking through and you're like, you start out 
you know, it was school ending and we went to Maui right away. We had an incredible time because we, it was our 25th wedding anniversary. We were married there 25 years ago and we took the kids with us this year. And they just, you know, for two weeks they were just like, oh, this has got to be heaven, mom. I'm like, yep, pretty close. Pretty close. And then we just went, you know, and then it was the next thing. 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 And, 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 you know, it, it, it culminated in you know Becca's graduation party, and then and then her going to Judson University, and and that's that's a bittersweet thing. You know, it, it's it's a season of life that I don't think you're ever quite prepared for, and then all of a sudden they go on, and and that's what you've trained them to be. That's that's you know you train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old they won't depart from it, and and you're like. They are leaving, and you walk back into their bedroom, and then her big circle chair is gone, her great big you know light, and all the different things, and then you stand there and weep like a baby. Anybody been there? Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's two times. How many? Three times. Well, nobody ever prepares you for this, right? No, and so you know the more. You know, no wonder the Lord says, the more you draw near to him, he draws near to you, right? Because, because you become this, his intimate with him. And so whatever the next season of time is, you know, that's a very precious season of time. And then, of course, I have Tori, who's in eighth grade, who then is missing her big sister because they were very good friends kind of thing. And so now I'm like, you know, and so it's like, okay, Lord, you, you prepare us for this next season of time. It's always, remember, we don't tread water with Jesus, right? Because you'll go backwards, okay? You're always going forward with him, always going forward with him, whatever that next season of time is. And and he's the one who's already prepared it for you, and you're just joining him. You're holding his hand as you're walking through this. And so, it, you know, you'll love to see... There's nothing better than seeing your kid owning her own faith and going off and, and uh, you know, and texting you and saying, Mom, I got a hundred on my chemistry quiz! Ah! You're like, oh, good for you, Becca. I didn't do well at all in chemistry. That rocks, Becca. You should in pre-med. You should. That's excellent. That's good. And so, you know, but but to see to see them owning their own faith, to um, there's nothing better. I mean. Um, she she uh, called me. She said, "Mom, she's on the soccer team." And she said, um, "There is a, a girl, a manager that was a junior, and that came to her and said, uh, there is a girl who came up to me and said, who is that freshman who is so much like Jesus? Who is that?'" And she said, "Mom, they were talking about me." You guys, that is boasting about nothing except Jesus Christ, because that's nothing to do with me and everything about me and her to him. I'm like. Okay, my year is made. <laughs> you know, I mean, because that's I'm here, because that's that's who we are to be in Christ, right? That we, if 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 you can't follow Christ, imitate me. I'm going to take you right to him, right? That's what Paul says. Verses before leaving Earth, right? A notebook, right? And and the fact that you know. Wherever you are on the path with Jesus, okay, you're going to get farther with him, right? It, it's just what happens. You're just going to grow in him. Or if you're not on the path yet, you know, if you're walking on a little parallel path or you're walking away, then you'll be on the path, right? Eventually, right? And so uh, we exist only to have us draw closer to him, to know him personally, passionately, powerfully, and then preeminently over your life. That means that he's in charge of your finances. He's in charge of your family. He's in charge of your thoughts. He's in charge. He's over. He's over. He's preeminent. Okay? And so, uh, if you miss a time, guys, you know, don't think like, oh no, I've missed, you know, just come the next time. 
Just come the next time, right? Because God's always going to meet you where you're at and He's going to take you just a little bit farther, okay? Now, we're always in the Word of God and the reason that we study the Word of God is because the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, right? And and the word will not return void. Okay? The word. Okay? The word. And we're going to look at Second Peter at the end because we're going to kick into Daniel, which kicks in perfectly because it's talking about being a last-day Christian. Okay? But, but it was always about Peter was always wanting to remind them about the word. The word, the word. It's very important, the word, okay? And so he was in his last days before he was crucified, Peter was crucified, okay? You know, he continued to say, I need to remind you, I need to remind you, I need to remind you. And he always reminded him about the word, okay? And if you go back to Isaiah, as far back as Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, it says, you know, all men meaning us, are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God, what? Stands forever. forever. Amen. The word of our God stands forever. That means it stands right now. It stood back in Isaiah's day. It stood in Peter's day. It stands now. It stands when he comes and raptures us or he takes us home. It will always stand. In other words, we can have a BSL in in heaven and be cranking, right? Because the word of God will always stand. Hi, Nicole. Hi, honey. The word of God will always stand because it is his word. It's his spoken word. And the only way that we can be changed is by his spoken word. A book club ain't going to change it, just so you know. Okay? I'm not saying not to read great Christian books. They're great to come alongside. Okay? But it's the Word of God that changes you. It's the Word that changes you. You can be under the Word like this, which is great, because we come together as a body of Christ, and we keep moving, and we keep feeding uh, each other, and and, and being transparent with each other. But you're never going to be changed until you're in the Word for yourself. That non-negotiable, face-to-face time with Jesus. Then is when you're going to change. And I know many of you along the way will attest to that. Oh, yeah. It's when I'm in the Word that I'm changed. It's when I'm absolutely in the Word. So that's why, you know, we are um, called Bible study ladies. I don't know who nicknamed us on Thursday years ago, Charlene, but somebody went, what's who we are? So that's what we became, right? So... um, So we are finishing in 2 Peter, and we are kicking into Daniel, okay? Um, That was God's idea. It wasn't mine, uh, but I love to follow him. And so we're going to kick into Daniel. I've been studying it all summer. He has incredible riches that he's going to uh, unveil to us. You know, Daniel, uh, you know, Daniel, the book of Daniel, has the most prophecies in all of the entire Old Testament, just the book of Daniel, that have come true all in the New Testament, okay? So the beginning of Daniel, uh, like chapters 1 through 7, is basically, you know, historical, and those are all the things you probably grew up with in your little churches, right? Daniel in the lion's den, you know, Daniel looked out, right, and didn't, like, eat the, eat the meat that was offered to the idols and everything. I mean, all those, anybody old enough to remember flannel graphs? <laughs> oh yeah, I used to say like this. Oh, oh, he's gonna put the lion up now. Oh, oh, right, all the flan- I love those flanographs. I mean, it was like, oh, there, here it comes, here it comes, right? And then when it would fall off, right, and you'd quick run up and put it back on. Um, and in all of the the historical, what happened? But but in Daniel, the theme of Daniel is this: the Most High God, the Most High God, is sovereign over everything. That's the theme. 
The most high God is sovereign over everything. What does sovereign mean, ladies? Sovereign. Say above all. Reigns. He rules, rules over everything, right? He's sovereign. He rules over everything. The most high God rules over everything. And we'll see that come to play, whether it's, you know, uh, the uh, historical ones, chapters 1 through 7, or chapters 8 through 12, which are apocalyptic, okay? That means prophetic, okay? That means written in a prophetic way, okay? So so we will see how those intertwine, and I'm really excited. I, I, I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, you're preparing us. You know, we are living in the last days, right? But when did the last days begin? Excellent, okay? So, but we are farther along, right? We're, we're, we're closer to the last chapter, right, than they were in Jesus' day, all right? So, we're in the last days, all right? So, as we're in the last days, it, if you open up to Second Peter, we are going to look at Second Peter 3, because he talks about how we as believers are to live in the last days, okay? So, you know, I've said many a time, I believe that um, Gabriel is getting his little embouchure all Ready. Already, he's got the trumpet almost to here, right? I mean, we're, it, it, it's, it's, uh, the Lord is, is tarrying, right? He's tarrying, right? And we're going to learn in Second Peter uh, 3 how he is tarrying for us because uh, he loves us. And he doesn't want any, any of us to, to, uh, to um, go to damnation. Uh, over the summer... Uh, I spoke in Second Peter chapter two uh, when we met. If those of you who are able to be here, uh, there is a uh, tape that will be made of it on false teachers, which is all in Second Peter chapter two. Uh, I believe it was pretty powerful, uh, and so uh, it, it's well worth um, listening to. And so we are not going to revisit that. We are going to go to chapter three, and then we will kick into Daniel. All right. So let's go to chapter three now. Uh, Dear friends, remember this is Peter. He's speaking, uh, this is his last epistle that he writes, his last letter. He writes to believers. It's very important to know the context. He's writing to believers like you and I, and he's writing to those who have come to Christ. Most of them have come to Christ at Pentecost when Peter stood up, was full of the Holy Spirit, spoke, and 3,000 people came to Christ, plus women and children. All right. So he wrote 1 Peter. And now, this is towards the end of his life, in 65, 68 A.D., and he's writing Second Peter. And he's reminding them that there were false teachers not only outside the church, but inside the church. And by the way, this is how you live the sure Christian life, that you, that you um, have your foundation as your faith, and you add to your faith goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and you continue, continue, continue on. And he says, if you will do this in increasing measure, you will never, ever fail. You'll never stumble and fall. Then he goes in and shares about the false teachers that are inside the church now. And, and then he says, oh, by the way, here's how you are supposed to walk in the last days. And so that's where we are in chapter 3. So, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior, Savior through your apostles. First of all, You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget 
that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Can I hear a hallelujah? Come on, aren't you looking forward to that? New heaven and new earth? Oh, baby. Whoa. Right. Not even the thought of sin. Nothing. It, there won't be any... Uh, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Has anything ever changed? No, no, no. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. These were Peter's last words to his believers. Right, to his, his Christian, his the Jesus followers, right? His last words. And he's reminding them that you need to live like this in the last days. Live like this in the last days, okay? Which is the same for us as we continue to be in the last days, okay? And so when Peter is writing this, remember, he's an apostle. He has all authority, right? He was given authority, right? Just like the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. That means they have the authority of the church, that Jesus Christ gave them the authority. And he's telling everyone that, guess what? There is a certainty to the last days. A certainty. There will be last days. It is God's promise. And there's a certainty to the last days and God's promise. And he's speaking with authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so he's saying, so live like this. And so he's giving another reference in verses 1 and 2 of, of the importance of being reminded once again. Being reminded once again. You guys, always remind each other. Always encourage one another. Always remind each other that these are the last days. This is how we're supposed to walk. Walking in it. We're supposed to be holy as he is holy. We're supposed, right? In other words, remind each other. Continually come alongside one another and remind them. And he tells them that he's writing this second epistle about the importance about being reminded. Okay, And, he, and the emphasis here is that we want to remember that they should know this in the light of the coming of Jesus and the prophecies surrounding his coming. In other words... We talked about this um, during the summer, but you know, all of them have come true. 
300 plus prophecies have come true. And if you remember, we, we studied and we looked at all, what, you know, how, how incredible it would be if only eight of, of them came true. It would be um, two feet high of silver dollars that would blanket the state of Texas. Uh, that would be, you know, the probability of trying to even have eight of them being. I mean, it, it was amazing how this professor was trying to figure it out that all of them have come true to the, you know, dotting every T, I'm sorry, crossing every T, dotting every I. All right? And so he says, here it is. And Spurgeon says this about, about, about Peter here. The purest minds, meaning us as believers, the purest minds need stirring up at times. That's the reminding. The purest minds need stirring up at times. It would be a great pity to stir up impure minds. Are you following me? It would be a great pity to stir up impure minds. That would only be to do mischief. Don't you love Charles Spurgeon? I can hardly wait to talk to him. All right. That would only be to do mischief. But pure minds may be stirred as much as you please, the more the better. The more the better, right? I want to remind you. I want to remind you because this is the truth. This is it. These, right? This is pure, right? This is who we are to be, to disciple one another, right? One, go and make disciples. That means go. Go and make disciples, one by one by one by one. We disciple each other. We continue on, right? And remind each other that, guess what? Jesus is coming. He does have a plan. This is the purpose. This is who I am in him. This is, and you continue to encourage each other with those thoughts. Peter knows that he's going to his death. Okay, but he, what is he doing at, till the very end? He's reminding him, hey, this is truer than true. I'll see you soon. Right? Right? He continues to encourage. And so he says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before. In other words, Peter knows the importance of reminding his readers about the scriptural message, about God's word, his spoken word, because his word is what changes us. His word is what created what you see, okay? His word is, is the infallible word of, in Daniel, Almighty God, who is sovereign, who reached down for us, right? And loved, like Joe Briscoe says, us little dust balls. Enough, enough, right? That Jesus walked out of eternity into time to die for us so that we can live, so that we can share and remind each other until he comes back. You guys, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And so he, he's able to share them. And he says, um, as we stir up these pure minds like, like Spurgeon is talking about, we're going to learn at retreat how to be an overcomer. And those, the pure mind are those that think right thoughts. Where do you get right thoughts from? The word. Exactly. The word. The absolute word. Because right thoughts lead to positive emotions which lead to wise behavior, which lead to, what? Fruitful consequences, right? Right thoughts leads to positive emotions, leads to wise behavior, leads to fruitful consequences. If you start with wrong thoughts, okay? If you start with wrong thoughts, it will lead to negative emotions, which will lead to unwise behavior, which will lead to devastating consequences. Okay? And these... These parallel each other. You can't think a wise, uh, wrong thought and then have it lead to a fruitful consequence. It won't happen. It's against God's word. It cannot happen. And, and that's what we in our flesh try to do. Right? We try to do that. 
That's not a pure mind. The pure mind has to be one that's in the Word, that's already changed and is continuing to be changed because we were saved once, we continue to be saved until our salvation is complete when we see Him in heaven. Right? And so Peter says, okay, I'm going to remind you that not only is the Word of God important, as we call it the Word of God, but the actual words of Scripture are important. The words of Scripture. Each one of these words were handpicked by the Holy Spirit as they carried along, as the Holy Spirit carried along the prophets and the apostles, as Peter talked about, and wrote them down. So the words themselves, not just merely the meaning of the words, the words themselves is God. It's God. And it's funny because most of us, I bet in this room, grew up perhaps with like a great big old Bible laying somewhere in the house. Okay? And like they were too sacred to look at the... Whoa! There's the words! That's that's not for me. That can be opened up at church and, and, and somebody... Higher than me can do this, right? I mean, and, and, and they, they got mistaken on the words, right? The word became flesh, right? And dwelt among us. And so Jesus is our high priest who has gone before us. He is between the mediator, between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. Those words are for us to eat, to be changed, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? That you taste and see. And so Peter... God bless him, I love him. He's like, okay, here it is. Apostles wrote it, prophets wrote it in the Old Testament, okay, and here it is. And and Peter clearly believed the words of Scripture were important, the words themselves, because he continually, continually reminded, okay? Here's what Spurgeon said about this. Peter believed in the inspiration of the very words of Scripture. He was not one of those precious advanced thinkers who would, if they could, tear the very soul out of the book capital B, and leave us nothing at all. But he wrote that ye may be mindful of the words, the very words, which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Oh, says one, but words do not signify. It is the inward sense that is really important. Exactly so. That is just what the fool said about eggshells. He said that they did not signify. It was only the inward life germ of the chick within that was important. So he broke all the shells and thereby destroyed the life. If the words could be taken from us, the sense itself would be gone. Did you follow that? Okay. If the words could be taken from us, the sense itself would be gone. It's his spoken word. 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 Right? It's his spoken word. Like Samuel said, speak, Lord, for I am what? For I am listening. For I am listening. Okay? So... He spoke through the holy prophets and, he, uh, and the commandment of us and the, through the apostles of the Lord and Savior, okay? And so Peter placed the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles on the exact same level, on the exact same equal level, okay? The messengers of the Old Covenant, the messengers of the New Covenant, on the exact same level, okay? Because Peter understood the authority of the New Testament, even as it was being formed. You guys have to remember, we're on the other side, and we have revelation, and it is written, and it's complete. There will be no more revelation. In revelation, it says this is it. It's closed. This is it. That's all we need for life and godliness. We learned in Second Peter. And you have to remember, Peter was in the midst of the New Testament being formed. Okay? And so he said, right, well, look, 
I know that I know the authority of the New Testament. It's just like the authority of the Old Testament, even as it was being formed. Okay, as he's walking by faith. Okay, so Peter understood that the apostles, he being one, okay, the inspired authority by God to bring forth God's message to the new covenant community, right? This is now my what? New covenant, right? This is the new covenant of my blood, right? That's why we have communion, right? That we remember the new covenant that Jesus died for us, that he rose for us, that he lives for us, that he's seated at the right hand of God for us. He's interceding for us, right? He's going to come and get us someday or take us home. The new covenant that he did that. And he says, you know what, this is it. He understood that the, ma- the passages from, I wrote down Matthew 6, 16, 19, where Jesus gave the apostles to bind to bind and to loose. Same kind of authoritative power that rabbis had in their day. Okay, so it's on an equal plane. Both the prophets and the apostles. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, and when he talks about apostles here, he's using the word apostolos. Okay, apostolos. Okay, which... which if you look in uh, Philippians 2.25, it makes a, a comment on it as well. But he's talking about the apostles of Jesus Christ, okay? That he was appointed an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was what? An I what? Eyewitness of Jesus Christ, all right? He's talking about that apostle, all right? Those apostles, the ones that Jesus chose, and they were eyewitnesses that walked with him. Okay, with Jesus Christ, right? And so they alone, those apostles, they alone are put on the exact same level as the Old Testament prophets. And he was just making sure that as you are living last day, Christian, you understand that these words that were spoken by the apostles have the exact same credence as what you grew up with in the tradition. Okay? So, then he goes on and he goes, okay, Look at, look at verses um, uh, 3 and 4. Okay, look at verses 3 and 4. He says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Okay, so now he's saying, Okay, now that you know that you know that this is truth and this is how you're to walk, Okay, now what's going to happen to you is there are going to be scoffers that come along. And, and what is a scoffer, guys? Mocker, right? A mocker. Wants to create derision. Uh, wants, wants to scorn. Okay, in, in Proverbs, um, it says, in Pro- I forget, I think it's in Proverbs 22, but it says the worst form of a fool is a scoffer. The worst form of a fool is a scoffer. A scoffer is one who mocks and creates derision and, and scorns, okay? And he, and he says, knowing this first, that scoffers are going to come along. Okay, so in other words, Christians, don't be surprised, right? Don't be surprised that scoffers are here. Don't be surprised that people are coming along and saying, yeah, right, uh-huh, I don't see him. Been a couple thousand years. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. I mean, that's what that's what they will do. Okay, they did it in Peter's day. They're doing it two thousand years later. Okay, they're doing it in our day. Okay, because there are scoffers. Okay, and so he says, he says, don't be surprised at this. This is pretty much the norm. So you know, 
Because they then they go on and say that um, what, that we okay. You say it'll come in the last days. Okay. Well, when are the last days? Well, the last days are when Jesus came. Okay. And so they're like, okay, well, you know, he still hasn't come. So therefore, the fact that he hasn't come yet means that they they don't think he'll ever come. You see what they're doing? They're switching it around. They're flipping the truth. Okay. But the truth is, the word of God. He will come. He said he will. He's always fulfilled every prophecy, every promise, every everything. And we are just in the waiting room. We're in the waiting room. And meanwhile, he says, you know, we shouldn't be surprised to find that there are those who scoff at the idea of Jesus coming again, okay? And and he said, actually, that's the very first thing you need to know. So I want you to be settled with that. My mom used to say to us, you know, in acceptance, there's peace. Right? In acceptance, there's peace. When you accept the fact that there are going to be scoffers around you, there's peace. Right? They said there's going to be scoffers. But there's peace in that. You, know, you don't have to argue back with it. You just stand in the truth. You stand on the solid rock. What is it what we sing in the church? Stand on the solid rock. I believe it, believe it or not. Right? Word of God, come and take control. I'm yours. I mean, it's totally. It doesn't make any difference because you know what the truth is because the truth sets you free. So when scoffers come along, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And quite frankly, ladies, it's going to happen more and more and more. Have you been noticing that? It's going to be happening more and more and more. And I don't want to get into a whole political thing right here at all. You know, but, but you know, but I just want to advise you to, to vote for the person who is pro-God. Okay? I mean, I mean, instead of a scoffer. You know, I mean, because, because there are scoffers. And, and, yeah, now they're taking, you know, Jerusalem's not the capital of Israel anymore. And, and God's not on the platform anymore. And so, you know, but... But you know you're in the last days, right? And acceptance there's peace. You just keep on, right? You don't start attacking. You don't do anything. You just do the next right thing. Because when you do the next right thing, you're in the will of God. And guess what? Nobody and nothing can touch you when you're inside the will of God. Right? Nobody and nothing can touch you inside the will of God. Okay, and so we know that the last days began when Jesus came, all right? And since that time, this is what Spurgeon says. We haven't rushed towards the precipice of the consummation of all things, but we have run alongside that edge, ready to go any time at God's good pleasure. Did you hear that? Listen to this. Since that time, since Jesus came, we haven't rushed towards the precipice of the consummation of all things, but we have run alongside that edge, ready to go any time at God's good pleasure. Right? Our job is just to be ready to go at any time. Right? And then you want the next one to be ready to go. Then you want the next one to be ready to go. You want the next one to be ready to go because you have the compassionate heart of Jesus. Because as we find out in 2 Peter 3, he doesn't want anybody to go to damnation. Right? He wants everyone to come to repentance. That's why he's, what? Long-suffering. It's why he's taking his time. Because he wants everyone to come to Christ. Quite frankly, I'm thrilled that he didn't come until I knew him at age 31. Right? I'm sure you've got... Oh, thank you, Lord, that you tarried for me. Right? That you tarried for me. Right? And now, you know, those of us, you know, that who want Jesus to come, guess what? He's tarrying for someone. Right? It could be a family member. Right? It could be, you know, someone in your class. It doesn't make any difference. It could be a co-worker. But, but he doesn't want anyone to perish. But to all come to the saving knowledge of him. Okay? And so... 
He says, here's, what, here's what's happening, okay? With the advent of Jesus, the last chapter of human history had opened, though it was not yet completed, but the scoffers are like, yeah, right, okay, yeah, show me this, okay? But he says, Peter says, they're walking according to their own lusts. Okay, they're walking according to their own lusts, okay? Now, that reminds us then that scoffers not only have an intellectual problem with God, because you know that, okay, that they have an intellectual problem with God, okay, and his word, but they have a clear moral problem. They have a clear moral problem wanting to reject the lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives, right? Fools reject the lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives. You know, some may say, oh yeah, you know, th- th- there is a God, and this, this, and Jesus is everything, but, but, you know, they're just hoping upon all hope that, you know, they're in the salvation little bucket. Okay? All right? Because they don't want anything to do with lordship over their life. So they become like scoffers. I'm not talking about just unbelievers. I'm talking about believers. Okay? I'm talking about believers. The Word of God says it. Right? Because what happens is they're walking according to their own lusts. So they might not just have an intellectual problem with God, but now they absolutely have a a clear moral problem because they're wanting to reject the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. If you reject the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, you have a moral problem with him. Right? He says, Margot, you need to do this. Margot, I need to be lord over your tongue. I need to be Lord over what you say and what you don't say and what you keep. And I need to be Lord over that. And if I tell him to go take a hike, I got a problem. I got a moral objection to his Lordship over me. That's what we're going to learn at retreat. He's already, he says, take heart because I've overcome the world. He lives in us. We're overcomers. It's if we will let him overcome. It's if we will let him be the overcomer. Because if not, we're telling him, no thanks. Hey, thanks for dying. Thanks for this. Thanks for that. Hey, I know you keep me living everything, but don't touch this area. Don't you go in there. Don't you go in that little part. Mm-mm, that's my, I feed that. Uh-uh. Don't you go there. Scoffers can be Christian or non-Christian. So check yourself. Check your heart. Check your heart. That's what we're here for, right? To be changed before a living God. That's a good, good thing, right? Conviction is a good thing. You should love conviction, right? Conviction changes you. That's a very good thing. Don't you love when your kids are convicted and they come, you know, not even a day later, but maybe 10 minutes later or two minutes later and say, Mom, please forgive me. I I was really sassy and they says, Are you kidding? That's conviction. That's conviction, Right? That's their conscience of their heart just bothering them. That's a good, good thing. That's the same thing it is with us. We want to keep open with that. And then, of course, the scoffers will say, well, where's the promise of his coming, right? That's the message of the, of the scoffers. Where's the promise of his coming, right? And, and in the thinking of these people who scoff and mock and make derision and everything, you know, it's like, okay, all you Christians have talked about, you know, Jesus coming for all this time, you know, and uh, <laughs> you see him? I don't see him. <laughs> As they walk away. And they don't hear the word. They don't hear the words. The words. Because they're saying, well, all things have continued from the beginning since creation, okay? And so the scoffers base their message on the fact that, you know, that things have always been the way they are right now. 
right? They base it on the fact that things have always been the same that they are right now, okay? God has not and will not do anything in his plan new in creation. But this is it. But they don't know the word. Because the word says differently. Right? In fact, in Second Peter, and then we're going to see in Daniel, you know, when God created the world, and then after Noah... The flood. The world was very different than it is now. You know that, right? Pre-Noah and post-Noah. Okay. I mean, there was no rain during Adam and Eve's time. You knew that, right? It was a terrarium effect. Okay. And and there wasn't any need for rain. Everything was perfect. Everything and it was a terrarium effect. Afterwards, there was rain. That's why everybody's like, "What's rain, Noah?" I don't know, but God told me it's going to rain. It's going to come from heaven. It's going to be a flood. So you know, as I'm pounding away for a hundred years here, I'd be advised get in a boat. With the stinky animals. This is where righteousness is going to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Talk about scoffers. Huh? Talk about scoffers, mockers, derision. You think they were scoffing when the flood came? <laughs> then they're crying, right? That, then they're like, oh, absolutely. But the, who shut the door? God did. God did. Right? And so, and so they think that all things, as they were from the beginning of creation, are just going to continue. So... That's ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. And so they scoff, okay? So, when you look at, in verses 5 through 7 then, he talks about the errors of these scoffers. Chris, would you read that, honey? Sure. Thanks. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the days of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. So the error, here's the error of the scoffers, okay? They willfully forget. Have you ever done that? You willfully forget. Or you willfully, okay, you, you, you don't want to remember something. You don't want to see something, right? So you willfully forget. And this is what the scoffers do. For this, they willfully, willfully forget, okay? The, the, the scoffers, listen very carefully. The scoffers presume upon the mercy and the long-suffering of God. They are presuming upon the mercy. Mercy means what? Not getting what? What I deserve, right? I deserve death, okay? And I'm not getting that because of Jesus Christ in my absolute belief in that he forgave me of my sin. My past, present, and future. And, and so I am absolutely imputed righteousness. Nothing that I could do, everything that he did for me. Okay, but they willfully forget. And so what they're doing is they're presuming on God's mercy and God's long suffering that he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting as in the days of Noah remember he waited and he waited and he waited a hundred years as Noah was pounding pounding away hundred years and how many people got in that boat eight and it was family probably because Noah made him right eight but the scoffers are presuming on that okay insisting that because they have never seen a widespread judgment of God, that there never will be one. Right? Because God can't possibly be like that. Never seen a widespread judgment of God, never been involved in it or anything, so therefore there isn't going to be one. Really? Read the Word. 
Read his word. His spoken word. That's who he is. His spoken word. Okay? You know, they willfully forget that God's creation and the judgment that God poured out on the earth in the days of Noah. They willfully forget that. Because they want to be right. No wonder God hates pride, huh? No wonder he absolutely hates pride. I love our pastor the other day. He says, you know what, pride? He says, not only is pride horrendous, but pride wounded is bitterness. So pride always, always has something to do with sin all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. And the scoffers are doing that. In other words, and when I share this with you, you have to remember that there needs to be in your heart a literal belief in God's creation. A literal belief in God's creation. There needs to be a literal belief in the fact that there actually was an Adam and an Eve. There needs to be the literal belief that, you know what? There actually was a flood. There was a Noah's flood. It's essential for a true understanding of God's working both then and both now. That this is who he is. This is what he did. This is what he is going to do. Without you trying to figure it out in your kind of humanistic way that maybe... No, you know what? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Right? It's just a done deal. And then guess what? Then you don't have any reason to scoff. You have no reason. Because once again, in acceptance, there's what? There's peace. Because it's the peace that passes all understanding because you're believing, believing the truth, okay? Because if you deny these things as fundamental to our faith, okay, it will undermine the very foundation of your faith. It will, it will undermine it. It will continue to, to like push on it. It will, it will erode it. It will erode the foundation of your faith, okay? And quite frankly, ladies, sadly today, many, many Christians willfully forget these things, just like the scoffers did then. They willfully forget these things. And what they do is, is that they put themselves right in the place of the scoffers, back in Peter's day. I want to willfully remember those things, right? I want to willfully remember that I have a God who loves me so much that he had a plan before the creation of time and that it wasn't going to stop. He knew we would sin. He knew Jesus was going to come. And we're on the other side. We're in the church age and we're just waiting for him to come again. I want to willfully remember that because I walk in the joy of that. The joy of salvation. Nobody and nothing can take me from that foundation but my faith. And when you're in the Word, and you're in the Word, and you're under the Word, the more it becomes your every being, your every thought, your everything. He becomes more personal, more passionate, more powerful, and more preeminent in your life. And you never ever have a reason to scoff. Because you live as a dependent creature on Him, knowing that from Him, and through Him, and to Him, are all things. And that he loved you enough to send Jesus. See, he says here that they willfully forget, in verse um, 5 and 6, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. In other words, the, the Bible clearly teaches that the active agent in creation was God's what? Word. God's spoken word. He spoke it and what? And it was so. Excellent. He spoke it and it was so. The active agent is God's spoken word. 
He spoke it and it was so, okay? He spoke it and creation came into being. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Are you kidding me? I mean, he would have created us first, but he didn't. You're like, ah! Right? He spoke it and it was so, okay? And then creation came into being and then it goes into verse 6. It says, the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. And, and why did that happen, ladies? Remember? They were so naughty. <laughs> there it is in a nutshell. Very good. Because they were so naughty, okay? They were so naughty, okay? Okay, so Peter's point here, okay, is that the things in this, on this earth have not always continued the way they are now. Are you following me? Okay, so, you know, listen up, scoffers, he's trying to say, okay, the things on this earth haven't always been the way they are right now. Because this is what's happened. The earth was different when God first created it than how it is now, okay? Therefore, nobody should scoff at God's promise that he will then make it different once again, judging it not with water this time, but judging it with what? Fire. Fire. By judging it with fire, okay? So the same word of God that created all matter, right? All matter, right? It says, it says uh, in the word of God, it says, you know, there is enough in all of creation that what? No man is without what? Excuse. That no man is without excuse. I mean, has an excuse. That, that he speaks aloud in all of creation that you're not without excuse. So he says, okay. That you're not without excuse that you wouldn't know him? That's right. That's right. That's right, Michelle. Yes. Excellent. So, the same word of God that created all matter and judged the world in the flood will one day bring judgment upon the earth by? By what? By fire. By fire. And so he's, he's saying, just because it always was this way doesn't mean that it always is going to be this way. Because guess what, scoffers? You're not God. But get to know him. I want to remind you of these things. Get in the Word. Read this stuff. Be changed, right? Then you won't be that scoffer. You'll be on the other side. You'll be on the other side looking forward to it, okay? And so the lesson taught by the flood was this is a moral universe, right? Right? Because what did what'd you say? They were naughty, okay? That this is a, was a, is a moral universe and that sin will not forever go unpunished. It will not forever go unpunished. You ever notice how you, you look and you go, wow, I can't believe how these people just get away with it and just continue and just sin and just, just and this lifestyle of this and they glorify this and this and this this. Sin will not always go unpunished. There will be, as mom used to say, a comeuppance day. (laughs) Right, Mary? A comeuppance day. Right? There's a comeuppance day. Okay? Yep. Because you were naughty. Right? There's a comeuppance day, okay? And Jesus himself used the flood to point to this moral in Matthew 24, um, 37 through 39. But But men refused to listen and obey. They neglected it. Okay? Quickly open your, your Bibles to that. I want you to read that in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. Okay? Because, <coughs> remember the context of this. Peter is talking. He's teaching us how to be last day Christians. And he's saying, as you're walking through this world as a last day Christian, there will be scoffers. Uh, 24, 37 through 39. There will be scoffers. And these scoffers... The reason that they're scoffing is because they think 
that it, the way it always has been, it will always will be. Okay, who's got that and wants to read it? Don, do you have it, hon? I do. Good. But as, a, but as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man. Now, this is red letter edition, right? This yeah. is Jesus talking. Okay, go ahead. One more time. For as, okay. But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them away, so also shall, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Amen, huh? Amen. Okay, so. The lesson taught by the flood and, and that Jesus brought to mind as he was uh, standing and speaking uh, is that this is a moral universe. Okay? And sin will not forever go unpunished. And Jesus himself used the flood to point to this moral. But these men chose to neglect it. Okay? And then he made the segue about how he will be coming. So... Going back to Second Peter, because I want you, I want to bring this totally around so that you're understanding this. Going back to Second Peter in verses eight through ten, he's talking about truths that scoffers deny, but God's people, you and I as believers, we cling to. Okay, and he says this: But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. I'm sure you guys have heard this, right? And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, as he's sharing, as Peter is sharing this with the believers in, in, in last days, how to live as a last day Christian, okay, he's telling them, okay, bless you, dear, he, he's telling them that you do realize that that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, okay? So in other words, what seems like forever for us is but a short, short time for God, okay? It seems like forever for us, okay? Just like, I don't know about you, but an hour seems like an eternity sometimes for my kids, you know, like we have to wait for an hour to get on the airplane. Oh, really? Are you serious? Are you, I'm, well, yeah, hon, it'll pass. It's an hour. You know, it's not like five hours. It's not a day that we have to stay over. It's an hour, you know. But it seems like an eternity to them, and it seems like nothing to me. It seems like, oh, you know, that's not enough. I have to go to the restroom. I'm going to do this, right? And so, and so it's, it's a total look at it. Remember, God is timeless. He always was, always is, always will be, okay? Uh, and he created time. But he himself is outside of time. Okay? He's other. He's outside of time. Okay? And so, what seems like forever to us is like a little drop in the bucket. Like, um, our mom has been in heaven for seven years. Dad for like, yeah, 30? 30 years? 83. Is that, how long is that? 93, 2000, almost, almost. I mean, you know, but, and we're like, wow, Dad's been in heaven for 30 years. <laughs> Probably like a minute, right? I mean, really? It, it's 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 because it's timeless. That's why we can't understand eternity, because eternity is with God, and God is timeless. He's outside of time. 
So we then become timeless because we're in eternity with him. Okay, and so and so a Peter quotes this from Psalm. Now you know that Peter was always in the Word because he's quoting this from Psalm 90, verse 4, okay, which says, For a thousand years in your sight, meaning God, are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. Okay? So all time is nothing before God. It's nothing before him. Because in the presence of the nature of God, all is eternity. All is eternity. And so when you're praying on a practical point, on a practical matter, ladies, when you're praying, you know, this is why Joe Briscoe says, in Prayer That Works, if you've never read it, read it. It'll change your prayer life. Prayer That Works. She says, you can't ask him how, and you can't tell him now. Right? You can't, you pray, 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 and he will always answer. Always answer, always answer, always He runs to you and answers, right? But you can't tell him how, and you can't tell him now. <coughs> because he knows we need to wait a little bit. He's going to let something else happen. This is what's going to be, in other words, he's orchestrating it, right? He sees the great big picture, the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. We've got that little tiny little snapshot. Do this, Lord. Does it, uh, you know what? If I did that, Margo, right now, guess what? This isn't going to be, and then this will happen, and this will cause this chain, this will this. Uh, and it's like, so you rest in him. You rest in him because he knows. And so he's sharing here that, you know, a thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. And that, and that all time is nothing before him, okay? So, therefore, nothing is long. Nothing is, you know, short. There are no lapses of ages. Um, you know, nothing impairs his purpose because he's outside of time. And so uh, I was reading, I didn't know if this was true or not, so I, I Googled. Everything on Google, you know, is true. <laughs> not, not, okay. However, I went to uh, some veterinarian's book about dogs. And because I had heard that dogs don't know time. Okay, that they do. In other words, every time you come back, like if I if I ran outside uh, for a minute, like with with Tori to take her to the, you know say goodbye her on the bus, whatever, I run back in. So he's like, mom, 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 mom. I'm like, I was just here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like a second ago. I mean, I, w- I mean, you were just right here. I mean, really? Compare, you know. And then if I'm gone for two weeks, it's the same, mom, mom, right kind of thing. And so I I read in there that dogs do not have a sense of time like we do. In other words, you know, we, we're time-oriented, right? It's time, we're time, time, time kind of thing, right? They don't have this overall sense of time. Like I think about my horse, and I, so I read about that too. I think my, my horse, who is in a stall and then gets out you know, during the day, and I think, oh, she's been standing in there like for, what, six, seven hours kind of thing. I need to get her out and get her in pasture or ride her or whatever kind of stuff. Doesn't know that she's been standing in there six to seven hours. Okay, has no clue. Knows that she's fed. Knows that she's fat and happy. Knows that her herd is by her. Knows that this. In other words, everything is taken care of. Doesn't have any time sense. Okay? And so, in my little practical thinking mind, I was able to see that, you know, in a little way, you know, on how God sees us. You know, as we busy around here for time. It's like... You, I, I mean, I am in control. You know, in Psalm 139, every day has been ordained for you before one of them has come to be. Just rest in that. I got it. You're to become more like me, and then I'm going to take you home, and then you're going to live with me for eternity. It's a win-win deal here. 
Right? It's a win-win deal, right? And so when he's talking to the scoffers here, he's telling them, look, you are really working on God's mercy and on God's long-suffering. Because one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Spurgeon says this, All things are equally near and present to God's view. The distance of a thousand years before the occurrence of an event is no more to him than would be the interval of one day. With God, indeed, there is neither past, present, nor future. He takes for his name what? I I am. I am. I am. He is the I am. I am in the present, I am in the past, and I am in the future. Just as we say of God that he is everywhere, so we may say of him that he is always, he is everywhere in space, he is everywhere in time. He is I am. Right? And so there, there is no sense of timing in that. And so Peter is not giving, I don't want you to think that when he says like a thousand days is like, a, you know, a thousand years is like a day in this, that is not a prophetic timetable. Okay? I don't want you to go, oh, let's get the calculator, let's figure this out. And everything. That is not at all what Peter's talking about. Okay? This is not some prophetic formula that Peter is giving, okay? You know, he's saying that some prophetic day is worth a thousand years or whatever. Instead, he's communicating a general principle. This is a general principle that he's sharing with the last day Christians, okay, as well as with the ones who are scoffing the last day Christians, okay, regarding how you and I as human beings see time and how God sees time, okay? And And he's making the point that therefore he is full of mercy, full of long suffering, full of this because he goes on. And he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The truth is, he's going to fulfill his promise. He always has, he always will, he always will continue to. Okay, because he can't be anything else, because he swears by himself, because there's nobody higher, because he's God. Okay, so he will always, always, always fulfill his promise. Okay, and he will fulfill his promise without delay. We think he delays. No, it's his timing, his way, no delays. His ways, there are no delays. He absolutely has, you know, his perfect will, which is being done. And so it's without delay, okay? And, and any perceived delay on our part, right, we think, what? My friend isn't healed yet. I have been praying for two years, and she isn't completely healed. What is the deal? What? Right? We have these perceived delays, okay? From our perspective is the long-suffering of God. Okay, is the long suffering of God, which allows as much time as possible for men to what? Repent. That's the big deal. That's what he's waiting for everybody to do, is to repent. Not say, I'm sorry I got caught and I'll try to do better, because that isn't repentance. Repentance is falling before a holy God and saying, oh, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And absolutely turning around and fleeing and running from it. Turning around. Turn it around. He wants everybody to turn around and look at him so he can be the lifter of your head, lifter of your head, lifter of your head. Repentance. He is waiting for all to come to what? Repentance. And he closes in this area by saying, by the way, you can speed it along. 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 You can, you're supposed to be speeding it along. You know how? To walk. That's right. To walk a holy, godly life, like he said in Second Peter 1. To add to your foundation of your faith, God, right? Um, knowledge. 
knowledge and continue to go on. Goodness to knowledge. This and on and on and on. And what happens is, as you continue to do that, people are drawn to you. People are coming to Christ. You are what? You're having them turn from repentance only because of what God's doing in and through you with them. And guess what? You're speeding his coming. Who doesn't want him to come? But you don't want anybody, right, to not come to repentance because we're supposed to have the compassion of Jesus. So therefore, you should be speeding his coming. Why aren't you speeding his coming? Right? Why aren't you speeding his coming? Why aren't you living in a way where you're imitating Christ and you're going to take him right to him? Why aren't you living in a way where your life is a witness, where you're actually sharing the word of God, where the people are coming to know him, right? Personally and passionately and powerfully and then preeminently. And guess what? He's like, yep, speeding the coming. There we go. There's my, there's my people. There they are. There they are. Yep, speeding the coming. How sweet is that? How absolutely sweet is that? Because he is not willing that anybody should perish. But all should come to know him, okay? And in closing here, Peter has now revealed the glorious heart of God. He's revealed his glorious heart, his compassionate heart. He doesn't want anybody, anybody, anybody to go to damnation. Nobody. He didn't make that for us. Only people who reject me, he says, go there. I I didn't make that for you. I want you to come to repentance. And I'm going to wait. And I'm going to wait. And I'm going to wait. And in our flesh, I remember thinking years and years and years ago when I first came to Christ, I had gone through a horrendous, abusive uh, marriage. And and most of you know my testimony with that. And... uh, I remember thinking at one point, you would wait for Jim, the guy I was married to, that did all that to me. You would do that. And I had to ask forgiveness. I wanted him to pay. And Jesus said, Hey, Margot, I already paid for all that. I already paid for all that. I paid for all your garbage. I paid for all his. And I want Jim to be with me as much as I want you. What a heart change that was. What a heart change. And I think some of us are stuck in a place where, you know what? I don't know if we want everybody to come into repentance, to know Him. And meanwhile, God the Father sent His only Son, right? John 3.16, His glorious heart revealed to die on the cross for our sin so that all could come to know him. And when you get to have the compassionate heart of Jesus like that, how Jesus changed mine, you can't help but go. You can't help but share. You can't help but want to speed his coming. 
no matter how many people scoff. Because you know that you know that you've been forgiven and you've been set free. So that the next person could be. So that the next person could be. So the next person could be. So Peter is reminding us, his last day Christians, come on, do this. Walk this way. Repent. Have a change of heart. Live in such a way that you will speed God's coming. Check your heart this week. Check your heart this week. Are you doing everything possible to speed his coming? Because he's coming back, you know. Maybe sooner than we think. But we, as his absolute people, are able to speed his coming. That gives me great joy. Great joy. And you know, he doesn't at all have any pleasure. I remember coming to this verse when God changed my heart about Jim and I confessed to him in Ezekiel. And I wrote it down. And the Lord says this, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Because you know what? I was there too. You were there too, right? doesn't matter what the sin is. It's that we're sinners. We're sinners. Are we sinners because we sin or do we sin because we're sinners? We sin because we're sinners, right? It's innate. It's innate in us, right? Except for the Holy Spirit who then vies against it, right? So as you're as you're reading the rest of Saint Saint Peter, as you're reading the rest of Second Peter uh, this week, I want you then to go in and read the beginning of Daniel. I want you to read the stuff that you never read about the context of it in the beginning. I want you to read your you know your NIV or Amplified or whatever the stuff that tells about the context and this and when it was written and and what the theme is and all that. I want you to read that part. Take a little bit of notes so that you'll know, okay? Because Daniel is a is a dig. It's going to be a hoot, but it's it's a dig in and it's it's the best ever. But I want you to dig in because we're going to, you know, it's not just going to be the stories, it's the application how we respond to those. And so, 